Oh, thank you so much. Thank you so much. I am very honored that I could be here this evening knowing that you had pastors Ken and Lynette Hagen here Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and now you're stuck with me on Wednesday night. It's an honor to be with you this evening. Um, only here in Rhode Island for a week and a half. And so I was so glad that it was possible that I could come on this Wednesday night. And um, I have somebody with me that's not been with me in quite some time when I've been in church. My wife, Mayana, is here. Mayana, would you please stand up? This is a special time for us in so many ways. Mayan and I uh, celebrated on June 1st our 40th wedding anniversary. Wow. And I celebrated just a few days before that my 65th birthday. Oh, I'm a senior citizen now. Maybe I'll finally have something to say in my old age. And uh, we had the joy of seeing the birth of our first grandchild. I'd like to introduce you to my grandson. He's not with me tonight, but I've got a picture of him. This is Sasha Junior David Angelina. <laughs> my daughter Jessica and her husband Sasha, they gave us this wonderful gift. He is the happiest boy you ever saw. He laughs all the time, and I'm teaching him to say, Grandpa. And Mayana says, say, Nonna. Isn't that funny? The German grandmother wants to be called Nonna. I want to be Grandpa. He's got to learn three languages, Croatian, German, and English. And he never gets confused. He smiles all the time. <laughs> it's been such a joy, such a, yeah, such a joy for us to experience this new chapter in our lives. And, uh, you know, the last few years that I've been coming, I've already told you we're in a process of seeing the door open for the next generation. And uh, we gave our church a date, and it's uh, the year uh, 2022, and we're working on that. I've got a group of younger people between... 22 and 35, there's just one couple that's a bit older than that. But the most of the people that in this group that I've been working with and my wife's been working with and some of our leaders, we're looking to the future. We're seeing gifts in people. Even me being gone uh, for a few weeks in this summer gives opportunity for new gifts to enfold and, and see them uh, um, bless the church. And so it's, it's been a joy as we walk the church into the next generation. And I don't, you know, I believe, Pastor, that you were moved by God to say what you said about reflecting on what God has done in our lives because I'm in a process of doing that. This year has been an incredible year for me, the last 12 months. Um, when I came back last year from, from uh, wherever we were in the summer, <laughs> We didn't come to America last summer. Where were we? We were in Greece. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And when, when, we came, when I came back, God began to give me some messages that have had a great impact on the church. The first one was I created a new world called Zoe, um, I say it in German, Zoe Logie. 
Um, zoology. Zoology. So we know biology comes from the Greek word bios, translated life in the Bible. We know psychology comes from the word psuche in the Greek. Talk about the soul and the intellect and the emotion of man. But we don't really know anything about Zoe. And Zoe is the Greek word for life. And it's the reason why Jesus came. I've come that they might have Zoe. So I created a new term. Zoe la... Zoe la... Yeah. Zoe logi. I know it in German. I have trouble with my English. And... It had such an impact that we're putting it into a book right now. And not only that, I've been asked by so many younger people to tell my story. And I thought, well, writing a book, that's, that's not my thing. Um, and young people today, they don't read kind of like they should. Um, they like watching videos. So we decided to do a biography preparing for YouTube with segments of anywhere from seven to 10 minute chapters that cover 65 years of my life. It starts with my childhood, my teenage years. I didn't leave anything out. All the way to that moment when Jesus appeared to me and changed my life forever. And then being surprised that God called me into the ministry. And at this perspective in my life, being able to share with others what God has done with us because there's something about this stepping forward in this next generation that this younger generation needs to get a hold of. They've got a hold of something that God is doing today. And that's why I want to talk to you about something that God has given me, I believe, very prophetic for what's going on today worldwide. There's something new in the dynamic of our praise and worship that's so important, and God is doing it. But anything God does new, he does not, he continues to build on that which was already established. And the, difficult, the difficulty that we have going from generation to generation is sometimes the older generation looks at the new and says, wait a minute, that's not how we did it back in the day. And the younger people say, but this is what is happening for us right now. And we need to know how to fuse the two together, knowing that God builds from generation to generation to generation. And there's the things that we learned about faith and trusting God and stepping out in obedience that needs to be understood in this generation and add that to what God is giving them with a new song. Because the earth will be filled with the glory of God. And the praise of God is what ushers in the very presence of God. I think I want to speak right now. I want to get right into the message. Then I want to sing a song for you later. Is that okay? That's also what I've been doing. In the last 12 months, two new CDs at the same time. I'm totally crazy. I had a season of creativity. I can, as an artist, I can only explain it that way. Two, three in the morning, I'd wake up and I'd hear a song. You know, the Bible says he surrounds us with songs of deliverance. And when we start to learn how to hear them and grab them, we can bring them out of what he's singing around us and bring them into the natural. And I would just hear these melodies. It, it, it stunned me. And it was not just one or two. It was over a period of months. So many new songs God gave us. 
And so we just finished a new worship CD for the church. And in addition to the biography, I have a new solo CD that I'll be finishing in the next few months. And it's very much speaking out of my life, out of my relationships, out of my faith to God, my love to my wife, my children, things I've experienced, the hard times and the good times. And in that way, I can share my faith with people that maybe don't want to come and hear me preach. but They might listen to the music. And so it's a real exciting time. You know, if you think, oh, 65, it's time to retire. No, this is time to refire. There's new things to do. There's new ways to go. God needs all of us, young and old. So let's pray. I want to get into this with you tonight. This is so exciting. We're going to talk about the tabernacle of David. Now, if you're sitting there saying, what is the tabernacle of David? You're in the right place. I'm going to help you tonight. And what has that got to do with me tomorrow morning? Oh, you're going to like this. Father, thank you for your presence among us tonight. Help me to speak simply and accurately. Help us to hear what the Spirit of God has to say to the church on this evening. And we thank you that you give us the courage that's necessary to walk in the truth that we're about to learn. So I thank you in advance for the transformation in all of our lives simply because we're meeting with you in this place and in this time. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. I want to begin in Acts chapter 15. In Acts 15, this is a church convention where they're discussing some weighty matters of theology. This is not the first time they've been confronted with this problem. And the problem was people who don't look and act and come from our culture are coming to church and we don't like this. It really was the problem. Gentiles were getting saved. And they had this church conference and Paul and Barnabas, they declared everything that happened. They had already had this once with Peter when he went to that Italian home, Cornelius. And the Holy Ghost fell in that Italian family and changed everybody's life. That was not in the mindset of the, of the church in those days. See, Jesus said, go into all the world. And in their tradition, they heard Jew- Jewish world. Because the early church were all Jewish people of the Jewish faith, of the old covenant. When Jesus meant all creatures, but they didn't hear that. And so the first time somebody who was not a Jew heard the gospel in Cornelius' house was about 10 years after the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 10. Well, this is a few years later, and Paul and Barnabas, they have had great results in churches, establishing churches with non-Jewish people. So they come back to Jerusalem, they have this big discussion, and then James stands up and he says this. This is Acts 15 verse 13. And after they had heard and held their peace, James answered, saying, Men and brethren, hearken unto me. Simon hath declared how God at the first did visit the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And to this agreed the words of the prophets. Now he's going to quote one of the prophets, Amos, out of the Old Covenant. As it is written, after this I will return. Now listen very closely. And I will rebuild again the tabernacle of 
David, which is fallen down, and I will build again the ruins thereof, and I will set it up, that the residue of men might seek after the Lord, and all the Gentiles upon whom my name is called, says the Lord who does all these things. Now, I want to tell you what God's doing in our day. He is establishing and building up again the tabernacle of David. Now, when you read the Old Testament, the first tabernacle you learn about is the tabernacle of Moses. Not the tabernacle of David. You know, when Moses went up into the glory of God, he went up to the mountain of God, and he spoke with God, and he was there 40 days, and God showed him things, heavenly things, and gave him the Ten Commandments, and he came back down to the people of Israel. God had him build a tabernacle. It was a tent with three basic compartments. You had the outer court, the inner court, and then hidden away behind a veil was the Holy of Holies. And in the Holy of Holies was what they called the Ark of the Covenant. It was basically a box with two statues of two angels leaning over, worshiping God. It was all covered in gold. And on the inside, there were the Ten Commandments. There was Aaron's rod. There were things that represented God's supernatural power. And that was the meeting place of God. The Ark of the Covenant represented the manifestation of the presence of God amongst his people. But that Ark could only be ministered to by certain ones. Not everybody had access to the ark. And under the law of Moses, only the high priest could enter behind that veil once a year in order to present the blood on the Day of Atonement on the altars. And they would burn incense before the ark daily, representing prayers. Well, that was the, uh, the tabernacle of Moses. But Jesus, the, the New Testament doesn't say God is going to reestablish the tabernacle of Moses. He's going to rebuild the tabernacle of David. Now, what happened with David? Most of you know the story about David. David was that 16-year-old teenager who caught faith, even in a young age, taking care of his father's sheep. And even though he was an outcast in his family, when the family had a great gathering, they forgot to invite the 16-year-old. You talk about having a family problem. But God had seen David's heart, even at a young age. And God had placed his hand on David, and God had the prophet in that day, Samuel, anoint this young teenager, David, to become the next king of Israel. At that time in Israel, the king's name was Saul. And Saul had lost his heart for God. Saul was going through the motions, but his heart was not there. And God had already decided at the right time, a new king will be set on the throne of Israel, and I will be with him. And he had picked David. The family forgot to invite him, but God was looking for him. God had seen his heart. So this is many years later. It was 16 when he was anointed, but he didn't step into that office till he was 30. 14 years. See, some of us get impatient after 14 days. God, where are you? 14 years. 
The Apostle Paul, he was 14 years in Tarsus where he grew up waiting for the moment when Barnabas would call for him and they went off on their first missionary journey. Not 14 weeks, not 14 months, 14 years. You know, this year and this month is now my 39th year living in Germany. I've stepped now into the 40th year of my ministry and of my life in Germany. 40 years is a long time. But it doesn't feel like it's a long time because I'm still having fun. We need to learn to know that there's a time and a place for everything. There are seasons we need to recognize and be ready to walk in those seasons with God's leading. So David becomes king. And at the time that Saul was king, before David became king, the enemies of Israel stole the Ark of the Covenant. And they took that Ark and they were trying to They were trying to cause Israel to faint because they knew how important that ark was. It represented their God. The only problem was their God is the one true God. And every time they put that ark of the covenant next to their God, on the next day, their God would be falling over. Eventually, their God not only fell over, it was broken in pieces. They thought, you know what? Ever since this Ark of the Covenant has been with us, we've had nothing but problems. Let's get rid of this. So they sent it back to a family in Israel. It was the house of Obed-Edom. And there was the Ark. So David decides, I'm going to come down to you guys. David decides, let's get the Ark. Let's bring the Ark back to the people of Israel. So what does he do? He goes out and gets the Ark and they have a party. I mean, they're so excited. They blow the trumpets. They play the guitars. They bang the cymbals. They scream. They dance. They yell. And somebody does something that they shouldn't have done. They had placed the ark on a brand new cart. It was like putting on a brand new pickup truck. And they're bringing it down the road. And suddenly that, that cart hits a rock. And the ark begins to sway. And somebody touches it. And the second he touches it, he dies. Because only the high priest once a year with an offering was able to even come that close to the ark and touch the ark for the sins of the people. David was totally, the Bible says David was so angry and confused. How could God permit this? But you know something about David? The Bible says he was a man after God's own heart. Do you know what that means? It doesn't mean he was perfect. It meant he was always seeking God's heart in every situation. I want to read something to you. This is 1 Chronicles chapter 15. What I just said to you is the 13th chapter of 1 Chronicles. But when you read this, this is in verse 1 in chapter 15. David built houses for himself in the city of David and he prepared a place for the ark of God and pitched a tent for it. Then David said, no one may carry the ark of God but the Levites for the Lord has chosen them to carry the ark of God and to minister before him forever. In verse, look at this in verse 
13. For because you did not do it the first time, the Lord our God broke out against us because we did not consult him about the proper order. See, there is a proper order. And this is my heart for the younger generation. It's not enough to emotionally experience God. And I see this all over the world. No matter what country I travel in, there's an excitement in the praise and worship. My son, who's, who's now just finished his master's and getting ready to go start his doctorate, he did a study. He was part of a scientific study about young people. They did an interview of 3,100, approximately 3,100 young people between 19 and 25 and they asked them certain questions. That was, it was at a big Christian event. And it was amazing that this generation, this younger generation, placed their praise and worship and feeling and experiencing God higher than anything else. It wasn't that the Bible wasn't important for them, but that experience and sensing God was higher than anything. Now, I appreciate their desire for reality. I, desire, desire, I appreciate their hunger. They want to see God be God in their lives. But there is an order to everything God does. And I believe it's our generation's responsibility to help the younger generation in their fire, not to quench their fire, not to say, oh, don't do it that way, because they may approach a situation different than we would, but that they always learn to seek the order of God. And there's only one place you're going to find that. That's in the word of God. See, many of us, we came up under what is called the word of faith. We were taught to learn. We, teaching, when I was a younger Christian, teaching was everything. I never wanted to be a pastor. I just wanted to teach. Teach, 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 teach. Teach, teach. And teaching is important. It was what God was doing in our day. Why? Because the church had lost what it really meant to believe God. And faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Oh, I heard that so often. Well, you need to hear it again. Because that's the only way faith comes. Faith comes by hearing and not having heard. Not something you heard 40 years ago. What are you hearing today? That was what will establish your faith. And so when David went out with the purity of heart, with all his excitement and all his joy to bring the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem, he did not consult God's order. Cost somebody their lives and Israel was totally confused. If God is involved in this, look what just happened. But David did the right thing. He studied. And he realized the problem was us, not God. We need to do it God's way. So he goes back to Obed-Edom's house and they do it the way the Bible said. The priest carried it on a pole and they walked back and they made sacrifices. Now here is where we're going. This is now in chapter 15, verse 16. And David spoke to the chief of the Levites to appoint their brethren to be the singers with instruments of music, psalters, harps, cymbals, sounding by lifting up their voice with joy. 
In chapter 16, verse 1, and they brought the ark of God and sat it in the midst, or literally in the middle of the tent that David had pitched for it. Now, this tent is the tabernacle David prepared. Are you ready for this? In Moses' tabernacle, there was an inner, an outer court, and there was an altar in the outer court to wash. There was a way you had to wash. And then there was the inner court, and that's where they sacrificed. There was an altar where the animals were sacrificed. But behind the veil that nobody could see and only could be entered by the high priest was the Ark of the Covenant, the very presence of God, far away from all the people. David comes because David begins to see something, that the Lord is good. And his mercy endures forever. And there's going to be a coming a time when we will all stand in the presence of God. And he takes the Ark of the Covenant and he puts it in the middle of the tent. And there's no veil around it. There's nothing but singers and worshipers praising the Lord 24-7. Are you listening to me? I will in the last days restore the tabernacle of David. Not Moses. Everybody's excited. Whoa, they're building, the, they're building the temple again in Jerusalem. Well, we can be excited about that, but that's not what God's doing. That's what man's doing. And God told us that's what man was going to do because God sees the end before it started. But what God is doing is restoring, and that's in the church, the very tabernacle of David, when we're beginning to understand what praise and worship is all about. And if we can only get the divine order with our excitement, we're about to experience something tremendous. Are you hearing me? Woo. David's tabernacle. When you study this out, in, in two, two, two verses later, it says, in Gibeon, which was about a mile north of Jerusalem at that time, is where the altar was. Apparently, when the enemies came in and stole the Ark of the Covenant, they didn't get the, the brazen altar. They didn't get the, the wash basin. That was all in what they called the high place. And David said, leave it there. That's where all the sacrifices will be. But around the Ark of the Covenant, we will have Asaph and all his musicians and all his singers, and they will worship God. You don't even hear about worship in Moses' tabernacle. You hear about sacrifice. You hear about always being reminded you can never make it. You're not good enough. Year after year after year, they had to come back with the same sacrifices because they were always in the same problem. But David saw something. He was a prophet. He saw there's something coming. God is going to do something where all the people, the Gentiles, will come and stand before God and will be able to look at the glory of God. Whoo! He was seeing the new covenant. That's why God said, I'm going to restore that. Let me give you some differences between the tabernacle of Moses, which represents the law and our effort to please God. Every time we Christians try to do in our own strength what's going to please God, we fail. We need to grab hold of faith and we need to grab hold of grace. 
And we need to give God room to be God in our lives. Wow. Let me, let me show you this. The tabernacle of Moses declares guilt that can never be taken away by our own efforts. The same sacrifices. The tabernacle of David declares grace and forgiveness for our guilt. I want you to get a picture of this. In David's tabernacle, people could look in and see in the middle is the ark. Even though they weren't able under the old covenant to approach the ark, to touch the ark, they could see the ark. They could see where this journey's going. They could see where God was pointing to. There will be a day when every single believer can touch the ark, the very presence of God. Because the first one, Moses' tabernacle, could only be approached by one certain person, only at certain times. But with David's, it was open for all to witness. The one was constant sacrifice. The other one was constant praise and thanksgiving. When you read chapter 16 in its entirety of First Chronicles, it's the place where David wrote his first psalm. It's not Psalm 1. It's where he wrote his first psalm. And the essence of that psalm, you find in the psalms, the Lord is good. He's good. He's good. He's good. David got a vision of it. God's good. Even though David had experienced disaster trying to bring the Ark of the Covenant, he realized, boy, I'm, I'm wrong to blame God. I need to seek God's wisdom. I must have done something wrong. Duh. And then he saw it. And then he brought the Ark in and he placed it in the midst so all the people could see it. And God said, that's what I'm going to restore. See, there's a new song in the earth right now. There's a new declaration in the earth right now. And you and I, we're a part of it. Whether we're young or old, we're a part of it. And I see it when I see these thousands of young people gathering together. The praise and the worship is filled with excitement. But I don't want to see that generation be like David in his excitement and fall into error. I want to see them understand the proper order because it has never changed. It is grace through faith. We have been saved by grace through faith. God's unmerited favor and faith gives us the ability to latch on to that, to receive it. And faith comes through his word. It's not enough to hear one point in a preaching and a bunch of excitement. See, when I'm working with young people, and I, I've been letting some of our young people take the Sunday morning service, but they got to deal with me. They show me their notes. We discuss what's in their heart. They get their delivery. Then we listen to it together. And then I tell them. And, and most of what they do is so good. But some of it, they get caught up in the excitement of the moment. Excitement of the moment. And when you've been around 
ministering and pastoring for almost 40 years, you see the difference. And I'm able to say, listen, this was really good, but listen to the point you made here. Do you know the Bible says something different? And we sit down and we study, oh, I didn't realize that. And you say, listen, you can only bring people so far emotionally. God doesn't want us to be moved emotionally alone. Emotions are a part of our lives. But God wants us to be transformed in our spirits. And that will affect our emotions. And that will affect our perspective. And that will affect our decisions. And when you don't feel anything, it'll change nothing. You're the same. You do the same. You act the same. You expect the same. You're you're there all the time. Why? Because God is God. And you know he's God. And he is true to his word. We would have never survived 40 years in ministry if we had just gone when it felt good. It doesn't always feel good. That doesn't change God. But something on the inside that says, keep going, keep going, keep going, keep trusting, keep believing, keep declaring, keep preaching, don't let go. Then you turn around one day and you look back 40 years and you're thinking, all of a sudden you're the old man and you're helping the young people move forward. See, I had old men in my life, men that were my age now. And when I was younger, I thought they were like 100 The first time I sat with Dr. Summerall, some of you don't even know who he is. You should look him up. Great general of God, this apostle of God. Did things with God. God touched him when he was 18 years old, took him all around the world. And he would sit there and talk to us young guys. He'd say things that never left. They burnt down the inside of me. He said to me one day, son, it's not about how good you start. It's how good you finish. He said, I've seen so many people start like a star. And 10 years later, you don't even know their names anymore. He said, this is about the long haul. This is about finishing the race. I never forgot that. It made an impact on me. Dr. Ed Cole. Dr. Ed Cole was the greatest thing that could ever happen to our, to our life, our family life. He sat me down and said, listen, whatever you do, you protect your family. You guard your family. You provide for your family. That's your number one priority as a preacher. Nobody had told me that. I wanted to be famous on the big stage and preaching wonderful messages. He said, that's not where ministry happens. It happens when your kids don't think you're a hypocrite because they see you grow up and you're the same at home as you are when you're in the pulpit. And I've seen it so often. Preachers' kids just run away from God at a certain age because they see the reality. So we made it a priority. But it was because older ministers took the time And now we have that responsibility. When I say we, I mean Pastor John, myself, and others that have been doing this a long time. This is our opportunity to impart something that will live on when we're no longer here until Jesus comes. So it's not about changing what God is doing. All this music today, I don't understand. It doesn't matter whether you understand it. God is giving a fresh new song in the earth. 
But the order has not changed. And if we can bring the two together, the divine order of God through his word and the freshness of what God is doing by restoring the tabernacle of David. Now, you can go through the New Testament. We're not going to do that tonight. But let me just tell you a few places. Hebrews chapter 12. He, does, he explains the difference between Mount Sinai. See, Mount Sinai is where the Ten Commandments were given and where the idea of the tabernacle of Moses was given. And he talks about that being a dreadful place that when God spoke, people said, oh, we can't hear this. We, we don't want to hear this anymore. It's too hard for us. But he says, but you, you're not come to Mount Sinai. You've come to Mount Zion. That was the very place that David pitched that tent where he put the Ark of the Covenant. That's the very place where God said, I will restore the tabernacle of David. You've come to Zion. You've come to the church of the firstborn. You've come to the celebration. I know you've been here for four nights, but you can do better than that. You go into the book of 2 Corinthians, chapter 3, and he talks about the glory that Moses experienced. When Moses came off of Mount Sinai, he shone like a, like a light bulb, and it scared everybody. And then Moses did something, and most people think it's because Moses was so humble. No, he was so human. He knew that that shine was not going to stay. So he put a veil over himself. You can read it. He kept that veil there so that when that glory lifted and wasn't on him and he just was like everybody else, the people wouldn't see it. I want to keep my image. I want to make sure everybody always thinks I'm that glory boy. The glory left. It couldn't stay. But then he says, but you... You look at the glory with an open face. Remember the time Moses said, God, show me your glory. And God said, if you ever saw the glory of my face, you drop dead. He said, the most you can deal with is my backside when I pass by. I'm going to put you in a rock, in a cliff in a rock, and I'm going to put my hand over your eyes. And as I pass by, you see a little bit about my backside. That's about all you can handle. And you and I, we look to the, into the face of Jesus and we reflect the same glory and we're transformed from that glory from glory to glory. That's the difference between the tabernacle of Moses and what David began to see what the table, tabernacle of David represents. And you and I are living in an age where God, he started this at, at He started this on the day of Pentecost. He's been restoring the tabernacle of David. Where are we now in the plan of God? You see, it says in the the Psalms, in Psalm, I believe it's Psalm 22, verse 3. But thou art holy, O thou that inhabits the praises of his people. God lives, dwells, manifests himself in our praises. I tell our church, we don't get up and sing songs to warm you up before the preaching comes. 
the first thing we do is worship God because he's worthy of being worshiped. The first thing we do is we say, God, we, we know he's everywhere, but we want to we see the manifestation of his presence in our midst. And nothing opens the door for the manifestation of God's presence than our praise and our worship. And praise and worship is much more than singing songs. It's living lives. It doesn't do us much good to come in and sing hallelujahs on Sunday when we're cursing on Tuesday. You listening to me? It's how we live our lives. It's how we take what God has entrusted to us and we let it be a blessing to others that brings God glory. But as we begin to understand, God is restoring the tabernacle of David, a place and a declaration where all can see the glory of God. David saw it in a vision. David saw it afar off. David saw it, you could say, prophetically. It wasn't yet there. You and I are living in it. You're living in it so much so that if Jesus is your Lord, you are now the temple of the Holy. You're like that box. You are walking tabernacle. God is on the inside. Oh, I would love that day. The first, I was, a, I was a baby Christian. I will never forget it. I was a baby Christian. I had come back to Rhode Island to visit my friends. And somebody said, there's somebody at Zion Bible Institute. It was in East Providence. And he was preaching R.W. Shambach. And I'll never forget that meeting. I had never been to a meeting like that. And the place was packed to the max. There was not a seat free. And somebody grabbed me and says, come here, honey. And she brought me right to the front row, right there. And I sat down. And then they, they got on the drums and on the organ. And they started singing, my gods are dead. My gods are dead. I feel him in my hands. I feel him in my feet. I feel him all over me. And the place went crazy. I had never seen anything like that. And the power of God came into that building. I had never seen anything like that. He's the same today. He's the same today. We need the manifestation of the power of God. And it's so much more than just what we sing. It's what we live. And when we bring what we've lived into the church, if we touch the world around us, the people that we meet daily and let God use us to be a blessing. We don't need to be asking, answering questions nobody's asking. We need to be a blessing. Sometimes just an act of kindness. You don't have to preach at everybody you see. You know, I don't preach at everybody I see. And I'm a preacher. Sometimes it's just talking. And when you're, when you're in public life, like I am, like your pastor is, there's not a whole lot of places I can go. I live in a pretty big city. We have 1.2 million, roughly, residents in Munich. And so often, people say, I know you. And then the second thing they always say, always makes me laugh. It happens all the time. You don't look half as big as you are. You look so much bigger on TV. They always tell me that. You look so much bigger on TV. I did a funeral just last week. 
a lady that had been in our church. She had been bedridden for the last four years. And, and her family, her brother, her brother and her sister, they come to our church. They said, Pastor, would you do the funeral? I said, of course I'll do the funeral. So I did the funeral, and there was this big, real Bavarian. He was about this big. And he was responsible for all the stuff that was going on. They do funerals a little different in Germany than they do here. So we're really at the grave, and they, they lower the casket into the grave right there. And so we finished the service. We, we, God really comforted that family and all the guests that were there. And I thought I would go over to the man and say, hey, thank you for everything. And he was a, he was a pretty rough guy and kind of balked. He reminded me a bit of the way my father used to talk, kind of balked at you when he talked. So I went over to him, and I said, I want to thank you for everything. He said, I know you, don't I? I said, I don't know. Do you know me? He says, you're on TV. I said, yes, I am, sir. What I didn't know was a man that's been in our church for, for the last 10 years whose grandson has been healed twice from cancer. We've seen tremendous miracles. He's, he's, he's been his working partner for 40 years. He said, I watch you on TV. And then he said, but you're so much smaller than what you look like on TV. <laughs> so I said to him, I said, it's okay. Everybody tells me that. I said, why don't you come? He says, oh, I'm Catholic. I said, it's okay. You can come. I said, many Catholics come and visit our church. You need to come. I said, your friend, you've known him for 40 years. So I said to him, I said, why don't you take him with you? And we had a nice conversation. They actually drove me back in their pickup truck all the way, because it was a huge uh, uh, cemetery. They drove me all the way back. And I could talk to this man. Sometimes it's just being kind. Doing the unexpected. You are the temple of the Holy Ghost. You are the answer to people's problems. and They don't even know it. You are the light of the world, Jesus said. You are the hope of the world. Because Christ, the hope of the world, dwells in you. And he's the hope of our glory. Let's pray as we close. Father, I want to thank you. I want to thank you for the truth of what we've heard tonight. You are the God that is establishing in this generation, in our generation, in our lifetime, more and more and more. You've never stopped. You started it on the day of Pentecost and the restoration of the tabernacle of David is happening. And it's, we sense it's almost complete. And we want to see that, Father. So I ask that this evening that you would encourage every one of us to seek you and learn what it means to be a true worshiper and to seek you like David sought you in your word that we would always try to understand your order, your divine way, that we don't go by our emotions alone or by our own thinking, but we look to your word. And Father, I ask for this house that you would cause a refreshing to come on this house greater than it's ever had. And it's had some wonderful manifestations of your glory in this place. But Father, I know there's something that's already happening that we will collectively see as believers. Thank you for preparing our hearts for what you are already 
doing, what you have set in motion, that we see the restoration of what David saw prophetically, that the Gentiles may come unto you, that the nations may know there's a God in heaven, and he sent his son, and he did it for every one of us because he loves us. Now, before I say amen, if you're sitting here tonight,